big things continue to happen at the state capitol, where parents got the final say in the school mask war, and Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears had a Cinderella shoe moment. We'll talk about all this and more today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, last week we talked about the spiritual warfare often involved in what happens at the Capitol and how our team was seeing this up close and personal a lot of times. So this week I just thought we'd start off a little lighter. We just got to talk about this awesome Winsome Sears moment. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I saw it first posted on a Facebook meme where basically I guess the deal was somebody that they thought there was a prank and that somebody had actually hidden her gavel. And so instead of I think I would have freaked out, you know, she presides over the Senate. I think I would have. But no, no, no. She apparently pulled off her high heel and gaveled in the Senate with her high heel. Pretty awesome. I just love that. Doesn't get flustered. Just takes off this gorgeous high heel. I don't know if people saw it on Twitter, but it was a gorgeous high heel. So I just got to love that on from the woman perspective here. And did you see that her <laughs> comment was, one shoe can change your life? Just ask Cinderella. That's what she had written on her thing. And I thought that was just, I mean, she's so down to earth. I think people just love that. The more we see from her, she really is a a rock star and, like you said, um, a relatable one. Well, I just heard it and I I laughed when I saw the meme and all this. I I literally thought of all these board meetings where it's hard to get our board to come to order. And our old chairman, the one that was our one before now, he used to say, I just wish I had a gavel. All this time, I could have just taken off my high heel and gaveled in our board. Little did I know. And you have some nice red ones. (laughs) You should definitely do that at our next board meeting. Well, you know, I had a not-so-Cinderella moment when I first moved here to Richmond. And you know that great right in front of our office door? (laughs) My high heel, because then I was still naive enough to be wearing high heels to work every day. (laughs) That stopped after this experience. My high heel got caught in that grate. I mean, I was struggling. I could not move. I could not get it out. And this really nice parking ticket guy came over and had mercy on me and helped me get my shoe out. Okay. Um, First of all, I'll just tell you, those greats have eaten a lot of shoes in Richmond and mine included. And the fact that you just said the parking ticket guy had grace just made me laugh because that's not usually my experience with the time parking ticket people (laughs) because they usually hand me a parking ticket. But um, yeah, that's, um, but it is a little like Cinderella because you're there standing there without a shoe, but it's just not very romantic and not very... um, I wasn't in a nice sparkly ball gown or, you know, didn't yeah. have that experience. Well, as long as you didn't faceplant because that happens too. Yeah, we saw someone faceplant right in front of our office. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes your brutal. shoe and the rest of you keeps going. So it's a fair thing to hit the ground. Well, once again, we've got a ton of things to cover today because there are a lot of bills moving through the General Assembly that families and Christians really care about. So we want to talk about some of those And I'd love to just start off with the biggest victory we've seen in a while on the criminal rights front. And that is this whole issue of who gets to decide if a child wears a mask to school. Tell us about that, Victoria. Yeah, this has been the big news of the week. We've already had a bill signing. I mean, you know, normally in February, we're not already to the point where the governor's signing a bill. But basically, you know, he had done an executive order. There had been lawsuits with school boards. But the General Assembly actually passed a bill. And we actually got to see the governor sign this bill that simply says that uh, schools can't require this, that parents get to be the final say, that if a parent wants a child to wear a mask, they can. But if they don't, they don't have to. And it was a big deal. He had all the kids outside the Capitol 
capital steps. I mean, just it was quite an awesome photo op kind of kind of thing. You went to it with your kids, right? Uh, my kids went to it. I was out of town. I actually <laughs> sent my kids. Their friends went, and so they got to see. It was it's so cool that they get to be a part of that kind of stuff. I I actually missed out. And we've already seen impact from this. Some of the school districts that were really digging in their heels on this and ignoring a lot of parents' concerns, um, Loudon, for example. They have already reversed course. I saw Loudon's reversing course, and apparently he's not going to um, – they're going to reverse some of the discipline measures that they were taking against students that did come to school without their masks. Kids were getting suspended. That's yeah. an unbelievable deal. So, yeah, they better roll that back. Yeah, I think I think I saw they were going to roll it back by later in February, so that's good. Um, does this mean that all of the court cases or are moot now? That well, They actually, interestingly enough, one of the court cases that Loudoun County was involved with, actually the judge ruled the same day the bill signed. So actually they were probably having to respond to the court even if that bill hadn't passed because um, the bill is technically not effective till March 1st. So there's actually like a week or two. But the court actually said, you know, get it together. People were, you know, this is legitimate. You got to do it. Um, so it's it's great on all fronts. Okay. Um, Well, this other important bill involving parental rights is involving um, the the bill where parents would have the right to review sexually explicit curriculum that comes up in their child's classroom. They can review it. uh, Then they can request an alternative assignment. Tell us where that's at. Yeah. So this was a, a bill that we actually saw two versions of. So there was a House version and a Senate version. That happens a lot. So you've got a patron on both sides, both chambers. And the bill actually made it out of both sides, each committee, and off of each side. So the House, the full House voted for it and the full Senate voted for it. So technically, those bills flip-flop, and then they kind of repeat process, if that makes sense. You sort of just go through the motions again. They start with the committee in each chamber. So they'll go back through the committee, back to the floor, and then those bills will land on the governor's desk. And you really don't need to, but it's sort of, you know, you honor both patrons and that kind of thing. But we expect, because it did pass both times, unless somebody gets cold feet, a couple somebody's actually. I mean, they're they're narrow margins, so there's... There's room for this to go wrong. So we still hope people pray over this and are still engaged in it. We don't want to say, you know, check, it's done because it's not. But it's it's a good sign that it should get to the governor's desk. So at the t- uh, time of this taping, we n- pretty much know it's going to go through the House processes. But where it could, if it's going to get snagged up, would be when it goes to the Senate committee. Yeah, we the, um, the biggest concern is always, you know, we, it was a bipartisan vote in the Senate. We mm-hmm. still need those couple of Democrats that broke with their party to vote for this. They need to, you know, they need to vote again. And that's HB 1009 that will um, at some point um, be in the Senate committee. And the one of the senators that could play a key role again is Chat Peterson. He's kind of gone different ways on this, right? Yeah, he voted for it in committee. That's how it helped get out of the committee. But then when it got to the floor, it sounded like he got a little nervous and backed off. And so thankfully, we picked up a vote. Um, so on the floor, it still passed. But it is a little nerve wracking when you see slight changes from really important key votes. All right. Well, another bill where Senator Chap Peterson and other Democrats could play a key role like that, probably in the same committee, is the Tim Tebow bill. Tell us what's going on with that one. Yeah, well, this bill, it's a really exciting bill. We've seen it, you know, we've tried to get it through the legislature before, but here we are again, and we actually got it off the House floor. But let me remind people what it is. It simply says that a homeschool student is permitted to try out on their public school sports team. They're not necessarily given a spot, but they're given an opportunity to try out. And this is a big deal. And, uh, you know, I think of, as you mentioned, Chat Peterson, it's a big deal because there's a lot of kids that have left Fairfax school system over things like books and 
explosive material. I mean, and those kids would still love an opportunity to play on the sports team, but their parents have made a decision that they really, for one reason or another, don't want to be in that public school system. But they're paying the tax dollars. That's the thing. They're paying for the public school. Why shouldn't they be able to participate? But it's uh, it's a big deal, and it's going through the Senate. Yeah, I saw a stat that more than 46,000 students have left the Virginia public schools since 2019. So, you know, uh, they need to do something to work with these communities and families. And I also thought it was a really good point um, that this is a local option. It's not mandated on the school districts. Um, that's when, they, when a bill is hard to pass, that's sort of the next step down is, okay, we're not going to make everybody do it, but we'll at least create the opportunity. And, you know, it's... The other thing, too, I just I can't say this enough. There's so many things in Virginia that we act like they're a really big deal. But this is happening in 35 other states. This is not new. This is not a big deal. It's called the Tim Tebow bill. Why? Because there is, in fact, an, you know, it was an NFL athlete that that was his experience. So this is this works. Yeah, we're actually behind the curve on that. I, <laughs> Let's catch up. Virginia. Sometimes our legislature <laughs> makes things a gigantic deal that they just don't look around and go, huh, this is really not rocket science. Well, on this segment, I just want to wrap up real quick, going back to the mask issue. Help us understand real quick for our takeout here um, why that is a core issue on the parental rights front, what what it says about parental rights. that We just have got to be responsive to the fact that parents have to be the driver of what is best for their own child. And lost in this conversation are many, many kids whose education has been hurt by wearing a mask. I know that sounds crazy, but if you have a kid that has speech issues, you have a kid that has auditory processing issues, there are reasons why masks are not always helpful. And parents need to be able to dictate for their child, this is the best environment. And the good news, all these issues have great traction, so let's keep the movement going. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's touch on some other issues in addition to the parental rights stuff. And one of those is the marijuana legislation. Now, they've already legalized possession of small amounts, did that last year, but now the debate has moved to commercialization of marijuana. In other words, whether your community will have a pot shop on every corner. Give us the latest update on that. Yeah, so this is a complicated issue. There's a million ways to skin this cat. We hope the way is don't do it. You know, that's our recommendation. I don't but think you <laughs> should skin cats at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a million ways to put things into this bill. Um, and our recommendation is just don't bother trying. But, you know, whether you're going to have edibles, whether you're going to have a local opt-in, you know, can does it, could a county have to by referenda, choose to have a pot shop or a local opt-out, for example. Everybody can have one unless your county says, no, we don't want one. So there's there's a lot of ways. And what they did at the last minute was drop this massive substitute on the floor of the Senate right before voting. So that bill did get out. Honest to goodness, it was so long. I think it was one of those. Remember Nancy Pelosi? Yeah. I'll, I'll know we it. We have to pass it, pass it and to read, read it. it. I think it was kind of <laughs> like that. That's what I'm hearing from legislators. They really didn't have the details. Um, but I think what's encouraging is the House had various pieces of legislation around this, and none of them came out of the House, meaning at the very least, they didn't like what they saw, and maybe they're going to look at just what's coming over from the Senate. But I found that very encouraging. Um, I think our team is looking at that as a positive sign of, um, well, we're not going to we're not going to just push, push, push to get this thing through. If the Senate sends us something that that really is workable, which I hope mm-hmm. it's not, I don't think it's workable. I don't think there's any version of this that's workable. Um, but then we'll review it. So we're. 
um, taking some hope in there's just one bill basically left coming over from the, the Senate to the House. And I think it's going to get very careful review. They actually had a very in-depth hearing around this issue and heard from doctor after doctor what they should have done last year before they legalized it. And all they cared about last year was money. Mm-hmm. That was the only discussion yeah. was where, who, how much money was the government going to get? And politically correct social justice talking. That's what and they the equity. About. You yeah. are right. It was a lot about equity and a lot about money, not a lot about health. And this year, the House actually held a very effective hearing. And I think that made some folks really think about, is this even a road we want to go down? All right. So just in short, our team is really focusing on trying to give, you know, whatever gets through, trying to give local communities as much control as possible that they don't just have to rubber stamp these pot shops. Um, And then just trying to limit things so that it's, you know, we can try to protect our kids. So putting limitations on edibles and THC levels and that kind of thing. It's all about this this highly potent THC. And we're just trying to remind people, every time you say marijuana, people have different ideas of what that is. in, In today's day, it is highly potent THC that really has terrible impact, especially if it's in the hands of kids. Mm hmm. All right. Well, there's a couple of other issues I also wanted to hit on. And one, of course, is religious freedom. What are the bills that we should be paying attention to right now on that front? Yeah, there's two big bills I really want to note that are heading. They're, they're basically, the Senate is reviewing them now. They've come from the House. The Senate is considering them. One is a bill that simply is a response to Governor Northam shutting down our churches dan- during the pandemic. So the bill is trying to say no government can stop you from worshiping. We think that could not be more important. So that's going to go before the Senate. They're going to have a chance to look at that. And the other bill deals with that Virginia Values Act. We've talked about it here before, where essentially the state tried to pass a, well, they did. They put into law a non-discrimination for sexual orientation, gender identity. And they basically said, even religious institutions, Christian schools, churches, temples, whatever your faith might be, even you guys have to hire and fire people. Um, You can't do it according to the tenets of your faith. You cannot make employment decisions around principles that are part of your faith. And so that's a big, big deal. And so what we have in a bill coming over and the Senate is considering it is Basically, we're at least going to take religious institutions out of that. We're going to say, you cannot put this on people of faith. Yeah. So basically, the so-called Virginia Values Act had LGBT tolerance trump religious freedoms for churches and Christian schools to be able to operate according to their biblical principles, especially, like you said, hiring and firing. So this is going to create an exemption for them, basically? It's basically an exemption. So it's not comprehensive. We think this really shouldn't have to apply to, you know, secular businesses that have principles, too. But it really is important for our Christian schools and churches. It's got a hard battle in the Senate, so be praying about that, right? Yes, we did not see bills similar fare very well in committee. But that's why prayer comes in. That's (laughs) that's where we start praying and acting. And trying again next year if necessary. Absolutely. Last but not least, I know we're about to get into more budget issues at the Capitol. Do you think we're going to see any real tax relief with with what uh, Governor Yunkin's been talking about with groceries and gasoline and that kind of thing? It does not look like the House and the Senate are on the same page. And the governor wants all these tax deductions, you know, various kinds of uh, relief. And uh, I'll just tell you, the bills in the House got out, you know, so the House wanted the gas tax reduced. They wanted the grocery tax reduced. They had a uh, changing the standard deduction. The Senate killed all of that on their side. So what? we will see what happens when they get another look at this. But I, I fear that we may not have... Great. Why do we not have more bipartisan support for this when we're in the middle 
of record-setting unprecedented inflation. I don't understand. Um, maybe this is um, too easy uh, to explain, but this is the way I say it, because liberals believe every dollar that's in your pocket is already the government's. Hmm. They own it, and whatever they let you keep is what they let you keep. If they let you keep more, that's less of their dollars that they're yeah. letting you keep. It's um, really backward thinking. Yeah, lesson. Don't give it to them in the first place <laughs> if you can possibly help it. Well, we know they don't spend it well. <laughs> Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, this week's Inconceivable Award comes appropriately straight out of the General Assembly, and it involves another one of those moments where liberals say the quiet part out loud. In other words, they let the true extremism that lies behind their worldview come through in their actual words. Now, of course, we all saw that happen in a big way with former Governor McAuliffe saying parents shouldn't be involved in what's taught in the classrooms. And we all witnessed the fallout from that with the election results. But apparently some of our delegates still haven't learned from that experience. Yeah, I could not believe it. Last week, Delegate Alfonso Lopez not only stated it out loud again during a House floor debate that books in the classroom should be left to so-called education experts. I love when they say that. I don't know who these people are, but they're experts. But anyway, he also specified that it should not be left to, quote, the lowest common denominator, or, quote, a vocal minority group of parents. So what they've done here, what he's done, has actually escalated the inflammatory language instead of taking the cue from the elections and dialing it down a bit, or at least trying to act like they respect parents. We've now moved from simply saying parents don't belong to actually insulting them, calling them the lowest common denominator. Let's just take a moment to listen to these actual comments from Delegate Lopez. Educators and librarians go through the extensive training. They understand age appropriateness. The lowest common denominator or loudest voices shouldn't be the ones dictating what's acceptable. The selection of books for classrooms should be left to education experts, not a vocal minority of parents. Yeah, every time I hear that comment that he made, I just can't believe that he didn't learn anything from the debate. But anyway, let me just give a little more context. The delegate made that statement while debating the bill on the floor of the House, and it was the bill that we talked about earlier, House Bill uh, 1009, that would actually allow parents to simply be notified. Nobody's saying anything about control of curriculum here. We're simply saying that parents get notified by the school if there's going to be explicit content, and they're allowed to request an alternative assignment. And you saw once again during this floor debate this attempt to distract from the real issue parental rights by bringing up more accusations. They keep playing this card over and over, bringing up accusations of bigotry and LGBT discrimination. But as we've said many times, here's the truth. Everyone on all political sides of this, we should all be able to unite around protecting kids, especially when it comes to common decency standards in a public school environment. So they just, they're always using these red hearings, trying to accuse people of discrimination. They're not addressing the core issue here. Exactly. But thankfully, Delegate Freitas actually did stand up and rebutted Delegate Lopez. Let's just take a listen to what he had to say. I I looked through the bill and strangely enough, nothing in there about burning books, nothing in there about burning books, nothing in there about uh, banning uh, literature, nothing, nothing in there about it. What it says is that if you're going to put these materials out there, then you're going to let the parent know first. 
And, and it's amazing because I keep hearing all of these arguments about local options, local options. You want to know what the most localized option you can get to? The individual, the parent. And we're not even saying you can't have it in school. We're saying you're going to let the parent know first. And if that's really what this debate is about, and if we're going to go ahead and call parents the lowest common denominator or the loudest voice in the room, well, Mr. Speaker, I hope the parents are watching. Thank you. I'm just so thankful for his boldness and restoring some sanity into this conversation. Yeah, he's done that on a lot of these issues up to this point. But one thing I really appreciated that he pointed out with that particular debate was the inconsistency with all of a sudden liberals are now bringing up local control out of nowhere. Like they're on the side of local control. But he said, hey, it's the parents who are the most local option because they have the constitutional right to oversee the education of their kids. Yep. And that's exactly why it's absolutely inconceivable that Delegate Lopez has not learned anything from this whole election and persists in insulting parents by labeling them the lowest common denominator in their own child's education. You got to love that phrase, lowest common denominator. You know, he's got to throw that lowest in. It can't even just be the common denominator. Um, And I just think that's such an elitist thing to say and at the same time just outright foolish. So obviously this week's Inconceivable Award does have to go to Delegate Lopez and all the other liberals in the Senate opposing parental rights yet again. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.